The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is John Jantz, author of Duct Tape Selling, Think Like a Marketer, Sell Like a Superstar, and you are listening to The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer in 2016. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in modern marketing. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything discussed in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, we're joined by John Jantz, and we're going to talk about his book, Duct Tape Selling, Think Like a Marketer, Sell Like a Superstar. John Jantz has been called the world's most practical small business expert for marketing ideas and strategies. He is a marketing consultant, speaker, and best-selling author of three other books, Duct Tape Marketing, The Commitment Engine, and The Referral Engine. He's the creator of the Duct Tape Marketing System and Duct Tape Marketing Consulting Network that trains and licenses small business marketing consultants around the world. And he has a new product that we'll talk about. He frequently consults with small and mid-sized businesses, helping them create marketing plans and organize marketing systems that smooth the way for steady growth. His blog was chosen as a Forbes favorite for marketing and small business, and his podcast, which I listened to, a top 10 marketing show on iTunes, was called a must-listen by Fast Company Magazine. Huffington Post calls him one of the top 100 must-follow on Twitter, and Forbes named Duct Tape Marketing one of the 100 best websites for entrepreneurs. He's the featured marketing contributor to American Express Open Forum, which is a fantastic site for small businesses, and his practical take on small businesses is often cited as a resource in publications such as Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and CNN Money. John, congratulations on Duct Tape Selling, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I'm worn out after listening to that introduction. Well, I should mention that uh, at the beginning of the introduction, I said that my show, the Marketing Book Podcast, was uh, listed as by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Your podcast was on that list as well. So Sweet. Yes, yes. And I it was exciting for me because I listened to the other nine. And I was very excited to uh, have the show make that uh, make that list. Yeah, there was an article in Inc. Uh, or on the Inc. site, uh, uh, Inc. the magazine uh, site uh, today. Actually, in fact, it had uh, nineteen. I can't remember. It was a great uh, nineteen podcasts that are worth more than what you pay for an MBA or something oh, like wow. that. But uh, I was glancing through that list, and I I thought it was funny that I'd had over half of those folks as guests on my show. Uh huh. Well, not surprising. And you've been doing it since when? Before, been before podcasting. podcasting was cool. Well, uh, in its first, when it was first cool, uh, is is what I like to say. So it was 2005 or so, really uh, right after you know blogging was the the it thing, and then 
people started doing this podcasting thing. And then a little thing called social media came along and, and podcasting got uh, really boring uh, for, for a number of years and uh, certainly uh, in a uh, renaissance uh, today, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, now I should I should just add, this is really special to have you on the show because when I launched this podcast a year and a half ago, there were 11 authors that I really, really wanted on the show, and I made 11 videos pitching them on the idea of being on the show. And you were one of them, and you are the 10th of those 11 to be on the show. How come you took so long? <laughs> Things got delayed, uh, but uh, but I kept in touch. I stayed after it, and uh, and uh, and and here we are. And I'm really glad. And I I think the uh, listeners are going to love this. And I should also mention I have an autographed copy of your book. Now you're you're like a Kansas City Royals fan, is that right? I am a huge Kansas. City okay, Royals. so you probably have some sign. Uh, sports memorabilia. And <laughs> I'm holding. I'm holding a baseball right now. Okay. Talk, uh, okay. Signed, by, signed by my friend George Brett. Oh, okay. Great. Well, and, and those of you, if you're under uh, uh, thirty, go look him up. Yes, definitely. I. <laughs> so, so you collect autographed sports memorabilia. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have a not, bit. not not aggressively. <laughs> Your daughters sure. probably buy it for you or whatever. <laughs> but um, I collect autographed marketing and sales books. So yeah. even though I read the books on Kindle, I went yeah. to a conference a year or two ago and I knew you were going to be there. It was the inbound conference. You've been there several times. Sure. sure and I sure. brought the book and you autographed it. So <laughs> I'm holding it right now. And uh, I should also add a little bit of trivia. John's a very tall fellow. <laughs> That's, there, was a, there was a picture of us at a bad angle, as I recall. Yes, That's yes. All. And I'll put that in the show notes of us, of us together. <laughs> So let me let me just start with a, an opening quote from the book on page five. At the heart of it, marketing and sales have become activities that no longer simply support each other so much as feed off of each other's activity. Sales professionals must think and act like marketers in order to completely reframe their role in the mind of the customer. And marketers also need to pay attention and adjust to their changing roles, working with the sales department or reps in a way They've never had to before. So, John, you are not some marketing guy pontificating about sales. You actually started out in sales and were very successful at that. Tell us about that. Yeah, so that was actually my first job out of college. And, and uh, to tell you the truth, maybe before that, because my, uh, my father was a manufacturer's rep. I'm not even sure that job title exists anymore, but he essentially was an independent salesman who represented, um, in, in this case, four or five different companies. And and so they, he wasn't on you know the payroll. He just got paid a commission for what he sold. And so you know he would pick up his uh, his uh, sample bag you know on Monday and go out the door and you know go to go to towns large and small and uh, go around the square uh, back when they did that and and you know peddle his wares and. Uh, so I think I, I think I was exposed to selling the, the the ancient art of selling at a very young age. But then it, uh, my first job out of college was essentially a, a sales job as well. And you know what I found was nobody really. I mean, a lot of things haven't changed at all. <laughs> nobody really wanted somebody to sell to them. They 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 wanted to have relationships with people that could actually add value and help them achieve what they ultimately wanted. And what they ultimately wanted was not what I was selling. It was what that might help them get. Um, and I think that that mindset kind of led me to doing some things 
that were outside the realm of you know traditional close the deal, um, more marketing oriented, more uh, relationship building uh, for you know, and and I'm not talking about playing golf. I'm you know I'm talking about things that that I could do to 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 add value you know by being part of a relationship equation, and uh, it, it just seemed kind of obvious to me. I guess I was always a marketer at, at heart, but that just seemed like a, a much more um, obvious way to be a welcome guest as opposed to uh so, you know this this pest that was uh, constantly trying to sell something to him yeah you mentioned that uh i guess even 30 years ago i guess that even then you you realized the best salespeople thought like marketers so can you explain the misunderstanding of the distinction between sales and marketing well i i think the biggest thing is is you know it, it was always um i think in traditional layout um First off, these were separate silos with separate managers, with separate budgets, uh, different compensations you know, for the people in each of these departments. And it was decided that that marketing was in charge of the message and sales was in charge of the relationship with the actual customer. And so, you know, as we've evolved a bit in the digital age and, and you know, marketing's doing all of the broadcasting and, and is, you know, scoring leads that visit our website and then kind of throwing them over to the fence uh, to, to be closed – you know, I think that what it what it really did for me is, you know, once the the buyer or the prospect started actually being having a little more control over that process of, you know, what information they got and what messages they consumed and who they were actually willing uh, or or I should say who they needed, you know, to help them uh, make their decisions. When when that started changing, I think that the 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 glaring sort of broken differentiation or gap between sales and marketing, I think, I think uh, personally uh, became even more glaring and, and, you know, for the salesperson's sake, all of a sudden, you know, that business, like when my dad went out there and sold, they, you know, they needed to know what, what are the new products? You know, what are the new programs? You know, what are the new ways that I can get discounts? They needed him for that information. Well, we don't need salespeople for that information anymore because we can find it, you know, online. We can uh, ask, uh, people in our social networks, uh, uh, you know, about all the products and services and ways they get their challenges solved. And so the, that salesperson, if they're going to be uh, a part of the equation, has to actually be doing something uh, significantly different than just providing information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, you say that uh, to be successful in sales, you need to think of yourself as a guide in the customer's mm-hmm. buying process rather than that information source that you just described. Can, can you explain more about uh, how they can be more uh, of a guide in the customer's buying process? Yeah, so um, there's an interesting, I love Google Trends. I love that tool. Um, just you can make some really incredible graphics and, and also actually help you make some decisions about things like content that you're going to produce and messages that you might uh, surround your product or services with. Um, I did a, um, a little experiment the other day. I put uh, marketing. So so for those that maybe not know what Google Trends is, it basically is just a way for you, for Google to show you how um, search terms have, the volume of search terms have trended over time. So uh, I put in uh, marketing funnel, I put in sales funnel, and I put in customer journey. And try this at home uh, if you want. <laughs> um, <laughs> those of you playing the home game, <laughs> the 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 marketing journey, or I'm sorry, the the sales funnel and the marketing funnel have been with us for 
really the beginning of time. So whenever Google started tracking this, about 2005 or so, um, there's a pretty straight line across the graph to today. Those have been terms that have been with us a long time. The term marketing or uh, customer journey um, really didn't exist too much in 2005. And now it, it is it is significantly higher in terms of search volume than both of those other two terms put together. Now, part of that's marketers, you know, people like you and I that are actually out there realizing we need to, you know, we need to react to the fact that that buying is really not about us funneling people through to a certain place or, or creating demand in a certain way. It's about us understanding the journey that the buyer wants to take, the journey that the buyer is going to take, um, and then putting ourselves in you know, in that road as as a guide to really help them get to where they want to get. And what that typically means for pretty much every department in the in in, in the company is that there needs to be this this sort of seamless end to end approach about helping a customer get an outcome. And and certainly in the context of this uh, this book, uh, positioning it towards the salespeople, what I've been coaching salespeople to do is is regardless of what their company is doing from a marketing standpoint or even a service standpoint, they need to get involved in the customer journey at a much earlier point and they need to stay at a much later point than maybe their companies are actually asking them to do so, I believe, if they're going to, to ultimately develop the kinds of relationships um, and the kinds of influence uh, that in, in their industry or in their market that they, uh, that they need really to, to excel. Mm-hmm. Let's go a little deeper into that. Uh, there's one part of the book where you you say that, I'll quote, prospects have gotten very good at figuring out solutions to their obvious problems thanks to the right. excessive, unprecedented amount of information available online. Salespeople can no longer provide solutions to obvious problems. What they need to do now is help prospects understand their not-so-obvious problems, the ones they may not even realize they need to solve. That one part I thought was really interesting and very tied in with another book called The uh, Challenger Customer, where they, mm-hmm. uh, from the guys at CEB, where they, they, they went even further with this concept. Uh, and can you explain more about this idea of salespeople needing <laughs> to uh, provide solutions to not so obvious problems? Well, I, I think that obviously that's, you know, it's easy for me to say that. It's not necessarily easy to do that or apply that in the real world. But, um, you know, I think for so long, companies have decided, well, you know, I, I, my, I was talking to a group of um, Alpha Graphics franchisees. And I kind of gave them this whole challenge of this journey idea. Um, and I, you know, I asked, okay, what are, what, you know, if you were going to write content, what would you write content about? And it's, it's constantly about you know, will my printing be done on time? Will, you know, the quality be what I'm after? And of course, you know, that's, those are important things to answer. But the the reality is, is once somebody has decided that what you sell is the answer to, you know, whatever challenge they're trying to solve, then in a lot of cases, they're simply looking for the best fit or the best price or, or you know, all the things that we don't necessarily want to to have be, you know, number one on the on the list of uh, qualifiers. And so what I mean by that is that, you know, if you sell to small business owners uh, like I do, um, then I need to understand the challenges that they are having. You know, if I sell printing, <laughs> I need to understand that, you know, what would printing lead to? That might lead to them getting, you know, longer term customers that might lead to them having more leads that might actually lead to them having more revenue. 
So things they might not associate immediately with printing. It, it pr- precisely, and and I don't know if this is a good example or not, but it, it's the one that sprang to mind. Um, I think that's the challenge that we have to solve: is we have to we have to be thinking about. Um, I, I'll give you another example. Uh, we worked with a, a tax um, strategist, so not an accountant, really just helped uh, business owners figure out how to reduce their taxes legally. Um, well, a lot of people didn't realize that was even a solution or in some cases even worse they thought maybe it was illegal or shady somehow um, and so if we constantly just sold our tax strategies then you know we pr- were only going to get somewhere with somebody who had already concluded they needed that right. um, and so a lot of businesses need to create a, a larger audience for their products and services by helping them understand what their solution is in regard to maybe other issues so you know every business wants to make more profit wants to have more money left at at the end of the day, um, one of the greatest ways to have more profit is to reduce taxes. Or I'm sorry, first is just well, to reduce expense. Yeah. yeah, that would that would help. But 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 essentially, it's reduce expenses. Well, okay, I want to reduce expenses. What's the greatest way to reduce expenses? Well, for a lot of businesses, it might be to reduce your tax burden. And so it's kind of this step by step journey that you have to be you have to be addressing each of those kind of questions and goals and objectives um, along the journey. Um, so that you can effectively kind of guide them to, hey, by the way, you know, here is a great way for you to get what you ultimately want to get. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I uh, did a workshop recently with a client and a new client, and they were, you know, we were going through similar to what you're just describing. What kind of content? What What are some of the problems your customers face? And it's interesting to note that the questions that customers have, they were much more familiar with questions that come up after they've determined they need their product. Sure, and it's a sure. real struggle for them to figure out. Well, gosh, I, I'm not sure I know what they're thinking about before they come to us, and uh, that was basically the bait that we wanted. So we're, you know, we're going to talk to some of their customers, but it's a, a similar thing where I was talking to another company, and they, um, I was talking to some of their salespeople, and I said, uh, what are what are some of the questions that you get as salespeople? And this uh, saleswoman, she'd been there 18 years, and she said, well, most of the questions are about price. I said, mm-hmm. oh, really? Well, um, have they always been questions about price? No, no. They used to ask us other things, but now they pretty much ask us questions about price. And I said, why do you suppose that is? Obviously, the reason is because the customer has all the other information they need. They're just calling up to right. confirm the price. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I had. But but I thought of another great example, too. We we have a software company that, um, that produces a um, – the company's called WordRake. Um, they produce uh, software that uh, really helps with clear and concise writing. It's not necessarily a grammar tool. It's actually a, a tool to make you a better writer. And the you know the challenge with them is everything that they've produced is you know somebody who's already decided I need to become a better writer. Um, and so for them, what we what we have to do is is we have to equate becoming a better writer with being a better manager, with being a better leader, with earning more money, <laughs> with you know being a better parent even um, because uh, um, because that those are the challenges or or things that people already desire. Um, and they, you know, they just haven't equated the idea that if they could actually uh, become a better writer in this particular case, which their software does, that can actually lead to something they've already identified. So it's not, it's not simply a matter of always a matter of, of finding problems that people don't know exist. It's a matter, in some cases, of uh, equating your 
product or service with an obvious need that they have that they just hadn't considered uh, that as a way to solve it. Yeah, connecting the dots. But let's talk about uh, what you mentioned about WordRick. Why should every salesperson get in the habit of writing? Yeah, I'm, you know, <laughs> I think I have a a, a, a pretty long um, section in one of the chapters about, um, you know, my belief about writing and, and it, uh, you know, should come as no surprise as somebody who, who has, you know, penned almost 4,000 blog posts and, and, you know, four full, full length books. I, I love writing, but I also found pretty early on that it helped me sort my ideas out better. It helped me present better. It really made me a better salesperson because, um, uh, taking the time to write, in a way that was coherent, um, really allowed me to kind of map out or, or diagram or outline um, all the kind of argument points that I might have um, in the context of uh, of a customer in many cases, because a lot of times, at least in my writing, I was I was merely talking about a situation that occurred and how I solved it and what approach we took. And, and I think that the, the more you do that, uh, the more that you find some of those things then become uh, very repeatable. They become, you, you find, you know, you get some feedback from your writing about uh, points that resonate and those same points, uh, um, ironically resonate in person as well. And so it just, um, I feel like, uh, it, it may, anybody, who writes uh, will be a better presenter and certainly a better speaker and a better communicator. And of course, that's a great deal of what sales is. Mm-hmm. And I've heard the expression writing is a paradigm for thinking. Yeah. And that just helps in so many ways. Well, let's talk about some sales stuff. What do you mean when you say there are no more blind dates? <laughs> well, the, the, the idea really behind that, and I just, it always floors me. I was talking to a group of, of salespeople at a remodeling contractor recently, and um, I was helping them with a sales process. And I said, so this is the place where you actually then do research on the customer. And they all looked at me, you know, blank stare, like, well, what do you mean? Well, when you have a prospect, don't you go to their LinkedIn and their Facebook and find out where they went to college and find, you know, all this <laughs> stuff because it's available to us now. And it was like I had opened Pandora's box, you know, I mean, it was uh, an amazing thought. And it just, uh, you know, again, hearkening back to my dad, I remember my dad used to say that he would go into a buyer's office and he would immediately look at, you know, is there a diploma? You know, do they have kids on the, you know, picture? Is there a picture of their spouse there? Um, and I think that that idea that, that all of this information now is so freely available to you and not just little things, connection things, but literally people are on LinkedIn talking about challenges they they need to solve they're talking about the the need for xyz product in their life i mean it, it is just a treasure trove of information that's available to you if you just set up a few routines and few uh, tools to to research a prospect or to get connected to a prospect or to get referred to somebody and the flip side of that's true as well of course that um you know anybody that that you're calling on is probably uh, uh you know there's a good chance that they know a lot more about you uh before you show up uh than certainly they they could have or or did 5 years ago mhm mhm now you say uh i believe that a sale isn't a sale until the customer gets an amazing result can you explain the marketing hourglass concept yeah so so that's kind of the the journey really for me i mean i, I know the term mar, um customer journey 
buyer journey has become really popular now. But I've been talking about this idea of the marketing hourglass for you know over a decade. That that and the idea is it borrows from the funnel. Um, but where I think the funnel lays off typically is that you know once somebody signs the deal, that's that's where they fall out of the small end of the funnel. And what I found is that's really the place where you can go to work on creating that thrilled customer who is going to be a repeat long-term loyal customer who is going to be a great referral source for you. So that's kind of the widening back up of the hourglass. And so um, we typically work with businesses and just say, look, there are seven stages or behaviors, whatever we want to call them. Um, and we, we title them no like trust try by repeat and refer. And those are the seven stages of the hourglass and our job as marketers Certainly, increasingly, the job of a salesperson is to help guide people through those seven stages. And uh, again, um, you know, one of the that, that idea of the sale isn't complete until the customer gets a result. Um, the idea behind that is is your greatest source uh, for most businesses, their greatest source of leads. And certainly, this is true of salespeople in in certain environments. Their greatest source of leads and new customers is really existing happy customers. Um, and so, uh, the idea is that. Uh, you know, this really puts the focus on creating a great customer experience, being an advocate for the customer, particularly in in some selling environments where, you know, once the customer says yes and they get ser- turned over to the service team, you know, the, the experience <laughs> And they say, good luck quite, with that. <laughs> quite often. And, uh, and so I think the best salespeople have always realized that's the point where I'm going to make sure and I'm going to, I'm going to be an advocate for my customer to make sure that, uh, that they do get a great experience. And, and, you know, those are the people that we want, uh, in our life. Uh, you, you, you mentioned the, uh, the challenger, um, customer in the, the book prior to that, the challenger sale, mm-hmm. um, they did a research study of 2,200, uh, B2B businesses. And it was something at the time, um, I, I'm guessing this number's higher, but it's time, uh, 79% of uh, those buyers said that they had made a purchase decision really before they had ever contacted a company. So imagine that, right? We haven't even talked to a salesperson. We've already made a decision. But those same people, and I, th- I want to say it was in the 65% range, said that the the reason that they remained loyal to that company was the sales experience itself. And so uh, that, I think, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people would read that first statistic and say, well, we don't need salespeople anymore. Uh, but the reality is we we don't need salespeople to come and provide us information, but we will always need insight. We will always need help. We will always need service. And the salespeople that I think look at their job, you know, once they make a sale as as really being an advocate and, and a servant for that customer, those are the folks that are going to be invited back over and over again. Mm-hmm. And that's where you would want to say to the people, you know, uh, the question is, has inbound marketing made the salesperson unnecessary? Absolutely not. Yeah. At one point in the book, though, I mean, there's several parts, but at one point I had to stand up and cheer. And that was, <laughs> that was when you, and it was about email marketing of all things, or, or just yeah, yeah. email. And you said, no matter how enamored you may be with social media and as useful as blogging and podcasting are and will continue to be, email still outpunches just about every tool out there when it comes to cost effective conversion. Why is getting more email subscribers job number one? Well, um, you, you know, it's a hard question for me to answer directly because, um, yes, getting more is job number one, but then giving them a great experience, giving them something of value is certainly job number one A. Um, so 
but but what many folks have understood or learned is, you know, even though we talk about, you know, all the spam filters and the people don't want extra email and there's lots of ways to block out email, um, it is still the universal uh, application. I mean, everyone has an email account. Uh, okay, I'm, I'll give a couple people, you know, off the hook. 99.9.999 or <laughs> whatever percent of people have an email address. And so it is the universal, still the universal tool and way that we can get in, in touch with people who want to get in touch with us. It's not necessarily, um, you know, an open door for cold calling, uh, but it is certainly um, it is certainly one of the greatest enablers of conversion once you have built trust. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there was a McKinsey study that talked about how for customer acquisition, email marketing is 40 times more effective than social media. And I guess there's a, a false dichotomy, but there's always a social media versus email. No, you, <laughs> you should be using both, but just use them for different yeah. things like ketchup and mustard. Yeah. I, and, and I think that, you know, I wrote a post about this recently too. I think people are starting to wake up to the fact, and, and not that this is new or anything, but, uh, you know, I think social media was seen as uh, hailed by so many as the next great, you know, broadcast channel. Um, and I think that that's how a lot of people used it. And I think that people are finding that it is a very little value to just get likes, to get followers, to just, you know, automate the process of getting information on your social networks that in order for those to pay, I mean, it's like every other channel. You have to build trust. You have to, you know, earn the right to to pitch somebody to something to somebody. Uh, but you can do that in social, but it's just done the same way that you do, you know, every other kind of relationship building. And, and I think uh, for a lot of folks, uh, you know, they're finally realizing less is more. Uh, you know, I don't need more Twitter followers. I need to fo- I need to follow and pay attention to the ones I have. Right. Or the right ones. That's right. So you mentioned that the greatest challenge most organizations face is getting sales and marketing on the same page. And I, I, I thought about that when you said people are starting to catch on, but it are, are companies catching on to this or, or what's the challenge uh, that's that's keeping sales and marketing from getting on the same page other than <laughs> inertia? Yeah, I think a lot of companies are catching on to this, but the real challenge is it's beyond inertia. inertia. In many cases, it's culture. Um, yeah, one, of yeah. the, one, of, one of the greatest challenges in organizations that have a large sort of sales-driven culture and history is that those are typically some of the most highly compensated (laughs) folks in the organization. They are in some cases held to a different set of standards because, you know, nobody wants to get, you know, the sales team sideways because they produce all the, you know, all the dollars. Um, And so, you know, in a lot of organizations, uh, you know, the, the sales folks don't have to actually play by the same rules. And so, I think that they have initially or they have intentionally or probably unintentionally, but have created kind of this environment where, you know, I wrote, <laughs> I wrote, I reminded me of, I wrote this about 10 years ago, um, <laughs> back, back, back when we could still, you know, do crazy things on our blogs and people actually noticed, but I wrote the same blog post, um, twice, um, on the same day. And I want one of the blog posts uh, was those idiots in sales just don't get it. And then I wrote the second one is those idiots in marketing just don't get it. Um, and, and the content of the posts were identical. Um, and I, you know, the, oh, the point, I find that <laughs> the, the, the point of it of course was that, uh, you know, that, that, that there's, 
this sort of natural, um, you know, infighting, I suppose, in, in so many organizations. But it's not really the people in those departments. It's really the way those it's the way that companies look at those two functions as being separate. Mm-hmm. And and I think the companies that are are really succeeding today are looking at you know sales and marketing and sales and service really as one unit uh, that there's a lot of cross um, activity there's a lot of cross training there's a lot of cross teams that uh, that now work on accounts and and that the focus is not on you know marketing does this sales does this service does this the focus is on how do we get a customer result yeah it seems like there's a gravitational pull that's forcing sales and marketing to work together more and more. And it's because of the way the, the customer's buying has changed. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think the companies that don't get it, you know, still have marketing out there, you know, just trying to get email signups, um, uh, you know, with, with their free white paper, um, as, as kind of their primary activity. And then, and then as soon as somebody signs up for that, uh, the salesperson, uh, is alerted who gets on the phone and calls you. I mean, I, you can do that. I, I could do that with half a dozen uh, free white papers right now, and I'd get a sales call, you know, 30 minutes later. Um, and and I think that's, you know, that's the disconnect, uh, that there's no, you know, the, the salespeople, and this is what's, what's sad in a lot of companies, the salespeople that actually succeed do so in spite of marketing quite often. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're out there understanding the customer better. They're out there, in many cases, generating their own leads um, and building their own relationships and building their own strategic networks. Uh, and maybe in some cases, actually creating their in- own influence and own authority um, because the the, the organization uh, is still stuck in kind of the old world of marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back where uh, marketing might be the make it pretty department or they're just generating the leads, like you said, and then sending all of them to sales. Right. At which point sales says, these are worthless leads. I'm not going to exactly. keep following up on these. I know what I, at least yeah. I know what my good leads are. Hey, can yeah. you uh, tell the listener about your new product? Well, so um, it, it is. It's kind of new. Uh, it's hard for me to just clearly, you know, one hundred percent call it new. But well, I, let, I've let, had me, a, let me restate that. Tell us about your latest product. There we go. It's 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 duct tape marketing system version two, uh, but it's really more like version five. But but this one is such an upgrade. So I guess I guess the other ones have always been one point one and one point two. This is two point So um, I've always had a course. In fact, that was the the genesis of duct tape marketing. I I wanted to create this documentable system where I could walk in and say, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you're going to do. Here are the results we hope we can get, and here's what it costs. And uh, then I wanted to turn that into really a self study. Program. So I've had that. Uh, in fact, I've had it so long we used to mail it to people in a three ring binder with CDs. How's that? Um, and uh, uh, this well, latest. You're taking me back, John. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. This latest version um, is our entire course with videos, 12 modules, 80 lessons. But we've also married it with software that is a task flow engine. So each of the lessons has a series of tasks in some cases. And so the task flow engine really uh, keeps track of those, scores them, uh, makes it so that you can delegate those uh, tasks. We connect the software to your social media. We connect it to your analytics. So so not only do you keep tabs on the tasks you've completed, but you also uh, naturally get reports on your site traffic and um, your keyword rankings and uh, your engagement in, in the social media platform. So we've built this all into one kind of planning uh, implementation tool. So 
uh, somebody can go through the the actual coursework telling them what to do, uh, but then they can actually keep track of the implementation or delegate the implementation um, and really kind of keep score of where they are in in building their marketing plan, but then also in implementing and executing that marketing plan. Mm-hmm. And that can be found at? And that can be found at ducttapemarketingsystem.com. Okay. And we have one one kind of flavor. There are a couple flavors there, but we have a, a flavor where they can also get some coaching from one of the duct tape marketing consultants. Yeah, I took a look at it. it just of course, it looks terrific, and you got different uh, levels of how much help That's they right. need. So That's right. So, John, if, if readers took only one thing away from duct tape selling, what would you hope it would be? Well, I think that, you know, what's interesting is um, more marketers bought that book I'm pretty sure than salespeople. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and I, well, I don't now, know if that's, a, that know if that's been, a good thing. <laughs> but they might have known it was from you, you know. Well, the, there's there's certainly that my my natural audience is more marketers than than salespeople. But but I think that the the one thing that that I make with making that point is that I, I think it we have to realize that you know I say think like a marketer, sell like a superstar, but it's the other way it's the other way around too. That that you have to think. Uh, like a you know a customer servant <laughs> as well as as a marketer um, if you're going to succeed in any of those roles quite frankly and and that that uh, getting sales and marketing on the same page and and service certainly on the same page um, is the most important message I think in that book mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what books have inspired your working career well a couple of really oldies um, one of the first books and I think I read this in college and of course it was old at that time um, Peter Drucker one of Peter Drucker's first books the practice of management um, to me he was one of the he was one of the first kind of consultant you know that was accessible to the the common man so to speak and and I think that the language that he used was very simple and very clear and very direct. Um, so I love that book. Um, and then uh, Michael Gerber's uh, The E-Myth uh, certainly was the book that turned me onto this idea of creating systems for small business and that that was really one of the uh, the biggest gaps and, and, and things lacking in small business uh, was this idea of, of taking a systematic view. So that certainly informed a, a great deal of my work with duct tape marketing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? I know a lot of your consultants are writing books. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, that is absolutely true. Um, that's a really t- you're going to get me in trouble because I interview so many authors and uh, have written my own books, and so for me to for me to point out some one book um, is tough. But I'm going to do it anyway. Well, you can, you uh, can pick more than one. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I I, um, I really love the work of Jonah Berger. Um, he wrote Contagious um, and has a new book out called Invisible Influence, and I. I I think I'm kind of enamored. I, of course, I love the how-to books. I love the technical books, but I'm kind of enamored sometimes with with the psychology of decision making and you know all the ways in which we are influenced. Uh, you know, some some that we know and some that we don't realize. And I think Invisible Influence does a great job of looking at a lot of the decisions that people make and and kind of analyzing you know, what influences us um, uh, to make those decisions. I, I find that uh, that type of work fascinating. Yeah, and he's been on the show, and it was a great book. And, uh, you know, there was another one that you might like if you haven't already read it called The Business of Choice by Matthew Wilcox. He's been on the show, and it talks about how why humans behave the way they do, uh, and it even goes back millions of years. 
But from a marketing standpoint, he's explaining this is why they do these things. Stop trying to fight it. Yeah, right. (laughs) Swim with the tide. And it was really fascinating. So how best can listeners learn more about you and your book? Um, so the easiest way really for everything that I do, you know, the universe there uh, at ducttapemarketing.com. Uh, so that's D-U-C-T-T-A-P-E marketing.com. And again, lots of branches off to the network, off to my system, off to my books, but that's the starting point. Mm, great. And on page 86 of your book, you had a list of the sales blogs that uh, you mm. really like and, and find helpful. I'm going to include a, a link to every one of those. Uh, oh, awesome. On the show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Uh, just a closing quote, John. One of my primary objectives in writing this book was to change the context of selling. I hope you've seen that the traditional context of selling must be blown to pieces, not because <laughs> I want it to change, but because we have to rethink what salespeople actually need to do to be effective in today's market. Selling has changed because the world of buying has changed. The only question that remains is whether you will use what you've learned in this book to race, to catch up with this ever-moving world. The name of the book is Duct Tape Selling, Think Like a Marketer, Sell Like a Superstar. The author is John Jantz. John, thank you so much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Oh, my pleasure, Douglas. And that closes the book on episode 84 of the Marketing Book Podcast. But please don't let the end of this episode be the end of what you can learn about modern marketing. Visit marketingbookpodcast.com for links to all the things we talked about in this interview and access to free marketing guides from my agency. And while there, make sure to sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. I love to hear from listeners like you. Modern marketing is moving pretty quickly, and if I can answer your questions or help point you in the right direction to get the information you need, please don't hesitate to ask. It's the least I can do for you, my listener. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and leave me a message or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Or heck, just tweet me up using hashtag marketingbook. And please join us next time as we talk with Andy Crestadina about his book, Content Chemistry, Illustrated Handbook for Content Marketing. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.